Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. You guys can be seated. Thank you. Why don't you guys give it up for the worship team, man? I am, I am blessed and, and honored uh, to be a part of this team and to see them uh, do what God has called them to do. Um, but I'm honestly excited to be at Reach Church tonight. Are you guys hungry? Okay. No, hungry for the Lord. Come on, guys. Man, I'm hungry for it. But I, I'm really hungry, guys. So I'm not going to go long. I'm probably going to go about an hour to an hour and a half. But we should be good. Um, but honestly, before I begin, I want to honor our pastors, uh, pastoral staff, the lead pastor, Pastor Omar and Sister Letty. Um, and then lastly, I got to honor my beautiful wife. I always have to. I love you. Again, she's there at home watching my daughter at home. And if you guys know Natalie, she is crazy. Um, but I'm honestly honored to be able to minister tonight. Um, I'm honored to be able to minister to end our three-day fast. And uh, honestly, it was a blessing to see so many people here uh, Monday and Tuesday. We had over 100 people almost every night. And it's amazing to see people fasting and believing God for something. You see, in a fast, a fast is a, is a moment where you decide to abstain from food or something for a period of time for the Lord. It's a moment where you intentionally rely on Jesus to fill you up. And you intentionally rely on and ask God for guidance. You ask him for his will over your life. Some of you may have been asking for healing. You may have been asking for a change in circumstance. And I'm gonna encourage you, fasting takes your devotion. It takes your prayer life. It takes even an encounter with Jesus just to another level. And it's an act of faith that we all have to do. And in faith, by killing our flesh and our desires to eat food and things that we normally do, we have faith that God is going to speak. And one of the main things that we have to do during the fast is we have to fill up our spirit. I love what Pastor Isaac said. He says, if you're not doing that, then you're just doing a diet. If Jesus isn't involved in this fast, then nothing is going to happen. You see, it's when your spirit is filled and his word is in you that your flesh begins to weaken. It begins to kill your fleshly desires that you and I have, and God is able to guide you and to speak to you. But it's a lot easier said than done, right? Believe me, I was ready like the first day to tell my wife, let's just go get some food. Let's just go eat. You know, Natalie's hungry. I, I even I even considered doing it because I was preaching. I said, man, you know, I'm not going to be able to focus. I'm not going to be able to really concentrate on my message. I, I, I have to eat. I think I need to eat. Isn't it crazy that our flesh will tell you anything to get you to compromise? That your flesh will try to justify something that you know you probably shouldn't do, so you would just give in. You see, it's a fact that we all need food to survive. You see, I read online that within days faced with nothing to eat, the body begins feeding on itself. The body starts to consume every energy stores, uh, carbohydrates, fats, and then protein parts of tissue. Metabolism slows down. Your body cannot regulate its temperature. Your kidney function is impaired and your immune system begins to weaken. When the, when the body uses all of its reserves to provide basic energy needs, it can no longer supply necessary nutrients to vital organs and tissues. 
the heart, lungs, and muscles shrink and you start to feel weak. Body temperature drops. Eventually, nothing is left for the body to scavenge except muscle. You're consuming your own muscle, including the heart muscle. And in the late stages of starvation, people can experience hallucinations, convulsions, and disruptions in heart rhythm. And finally, the heart stops. I felt that way on Tuesday. Uh, I, I was feeling my heart missing the rhythm. You see, without the food, the human body cannot physically survive. In John chapter 6, verse 35 and 37, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here we have Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life, comparing himself to the one thing we need to survive. Jesus understands the importance of food to our bodies. He understands that we need food to survive and to sustain our life. And he's saying, that's how important I am to your life. That without me, your life, without me in your life, without taking a part of me daily, without killing your flesh and consuming his spirit, you will end up spiritually dead. And too many of us are spiritually dying because you've been allowing other things to, to sustain your life instead of Jesus. You haven't denied your flesh and you haven't sacrificed your flesh. And so because you haven't denied your flesh, you've allowed your flesh to grow. And when you allow your flesh to grow, it begins to weaken your spirit. And that's why Jesus is telling us that he's the bread of life because he's the only one that can sustain your life. He's the only one. He's telling you that the key to eternal life, the key that you're going to be able to, to last in the long run, you're going to be able to finish this fight. Yes, so many of us, we refuse to accept and apply it to our own life. You want to know why you always give up? Why you can't do this fast with us? Why you find yourself in this cycle over and over again? Could it be that you haven't allowed Jesus to sustain your life? Could it be that you've been living with no care while your flesh is eating your spirit from the inside out? And Jesus is telling us, I'm the bread in which you eat that you'll never be hungry again. The drink that you'll never be thirsty again. Yet so many Christians are living this life while being sustained by the very thing that kills them. Jesus is giving it to us freely. He's given us a life and a life more abundantly, but it's up to us to rely on Jesus. It's up to us to sacrifice the old man and to, and to serve him with all that we have. You see, if we are to live this Christian life, if we want to see Jesus, if we want to be able to enter into his kingdom, you have to be willing to surrender and to sacrifice things in your life. That's why I love this theme, the altered life. Because it's a lifestyle of surrendering your own will and accepting his will for your life. I want to read this verse to you, and it's in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's very simple. Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Tonight my message is simple, and like my dad said, I'm not going to go long. But our... My message is this, that we would live lives that Jesus would find holy and acceptable to him. 
See, I believe an altered life is a life of constant surrender and constant wonder. So why don't we all pray tonight? Father, we thank you, Jesus. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit here even now. God, I pray that every word that I say, God, every word that I speak, Lord, that they would hear your voice and not mine. Father, I pray that we would leave this building challenged. God, that we would leave understanding, God, what it takes to serve you. That we would live a life that is altered by you and you alone. Father, we thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You're good, Rocky. Thank you. Give it up for Rocky. You see, I want to read this again in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You see, Paul begins this letter with, I urge you, brothers and sisters. You see, Paul was a great writer. Uh, he, if you know anything about Paul, he had a way to get your attention. He had a way to make sure you knew what was really important in his writing. And he starts off this letter saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Another version in the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore. Meaning that what I'm about to tell you is very important. You can almost hear the passion. You can almost imagine that Paul is urging us that whoever is going to read this, you must listen you must understand that what I'm saying is important. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Paul is urging the believer that this is a way that we have to live. He says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You see, in the Old Testament, when sacrificing an animal, according to God's law, a priest would have to come. They would kill the animal. They would cut it into pieces, and they would place it on the altar, and they would burn it up, and that would be the sacrifice for the Lord. It'd be a sacrifice for the atonement of sins, for forgiveness. It'd be an offering as worship. Now, although sacrifice was very important to the Lord during that time, even in the Old Testament, God made it very clear what it was really about. God clearly showed us that it wasn't about the physical sacrifice. It wasn't about the animal being placed on the altar. It wasn't about cutting it up. It wasn't even about the priest. It was about obedience and surrender. You see, he was looking more at the motive behind the sacrifice more than the sacrifice. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, But Samuel said, What is more pleasing to the Lord? your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat rams. In Romans, Paul is urging us to sacrifice not animals, but our lives to the Lord. He's encouraging us and almost begging us to live this way for Christ, to offer our bodies, to, to offer our lives to Jesus, that our lives would be holy and pleasing to him. And he's saying that God is looking for a life that is willing to lay aside your own desires. He's looking for a life that is willing to lay aside your own feelings, your own thoughts, and to live a life that is willing to please him. 
to live a life that is willing to take up our cross, to ask the Lord, Lord, not my will, Lord, but yours, to live a life that is surrendered and submitted to his will and not your own. And Paul says that is what true and proper worship is. Now, Paul doesn't say, well, it's, it's the good songs, that's what true worship is. It's when the band plays or it's when you jump up, up and down and, and you have your shoes off and you're barefooted and, and, and you're crazy. That's what true worship is. No, Paul is saying true worship is through the way you live. It's through sacrificing the old life that you used to live. It's confessing your sins. It's turning away from your sins and it's accepting God's will for your life instead of your own. That is complete surrender to Jesus. You see, what does that look like? A surrendered life is a life that gives up everything, every area of our lives to him. We give up total control, but we trust that God's plan for our life is far better than anything we can come up with. It's making him your top priority, spending time with him daily. It's serving others, not ourselves. It's when we love and we show compassion to others. It's when we share the gospel. It's when we sacrifice our lives, our time, and our convenience, just as Christ did for us. It's when we deny our flesh. You see, when you realize what it really takes to serve the Lord, some of you are just a little taken back. Some of you might be a little bit afraid that I'm talking about surrender. You might feel a little bit uncomfortable that you have to put Jesus first before your own needs, before your kids' needs, before your family's needs. Jesus has to be first, and some of us are just ready to give up the moment I start talking about it. Some of us run at the moment that we have to surrender and give up our own will. Just like Pastor Omar talked on Sunday, we are naturally selfish. We care more about what we want to do rather than what God has for our lives. And you want to know what Paul uses as his strongest argument to convince us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? You want to know what he used to persuade us to give Jesus everything? You want to know what he used to put Jesus first in our lives to get us to believe that we need to sacrifice our lives? He gives us one reason, one argument, and one simple reason as to why we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. It's because of the mercy that God has given us. Paul doesn't give us this long list although he can put a whole list together. He doesn't have a, 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 a just so many reasons as to why we should serve the Lord. All he says is in view of God's mercy. That is why you should sacrifice your life. If you just think about the very things that God has saved you from, if you think about the mercy and the grace that he's given you, the addictions that he's freed you from, the healing that he brought over your life, the breakthrough that he's given, it's in view of his mercy that we're able to present our lives as a sacrifice to him. That's it. It's because of the mercy over our lives that we're even able to offer Jesus anything. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's because of the debt that was paid the punishment of the wrath that we deserved was wiped away 
See, all of us in this room should be in hell. All of us in this room should not be here. But God loved us so much. It says in 1 John 4, 9, it says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice everything for us so that our sins would be forgiven and now we have the opportunity to give it back. Now we have the opportunity to make a sacrifice and to surrender our life for him. I love this story in John chapter 12. And I'm gonna read it. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-inch jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. Mary understood what true and proper worship was. She came to the understanding that Jesus deserved everything. That Jesus deserved the best that she had to offer. Now, it wasn't the physical gift that she had that made it so important. It was the heart behind it. Mary was grateful. She had a heart of gratitude towards Jesus for what she had done in his life and, and, and what he was going to do, that she was willing to give everything she had. Mary was willing to give a year's wages to the Lord in a moment. Some of you in this room are not even willing to give Jesus your bare minimum. You're not willing to even, well, I have to come to church on, on Saturday morning prayer. What, the, my connect group leader is asking me to open up my home? You know how inconvenient that is? They're asking me to, to share a word. They're asking me to, to, to come and serve. They're asking me to do this and that. It's because you forget what God has done in your life. And until you can remind yourself of the mercies of God, you will always find yourself struggling to serve him. Until you can acknowledge how lost you were, until you can acknowledge how much God gave it up for you, you will never fully and commit and surrender your life to him. I've seen so many Christians struggle to serve God, struggle to be consistent. I've talked to so many Christians who told me, well, Christ isn't really for me. Well, when I came, I didn't really feel anything. God really never changed me. But then I find out that they never read their Bible. I found out that they never prayed. I found out that they never thanked God for what he's done in your life, and they remained ungrateful. You see, it's no surprise to me. The problem with today's Christianity is we want too much. We want this great message, but we don't want it to offend us. We, we want to have a leader in our life, but we don't want to be accountable. 
We want the blessing from God, but we don't want our life to be inconvenienced. That's why we see people go from conference to conference, church to church, pastor to pastor, leader to leader. Why? Because Jesus is not enough for them. Jesus was never their source of their strength. He was never the reason for their surrender. It was only the things that Jesus created. And until you are reminded of the mercies of God, until you are reminded of what God has done in your life and allow that to be the reason to keep going, you will never be satisfied. You see, one other thing about the perfume that Mary offered Jesus was that after she poured it out onto his feet as an offering to him, she had to come to the understanding that what she was giving Jesus, she was not gonna get back. That once she poured out this expensive perfume, this perfume that costed a year's wages, this gift that she had to offer, she had to understand that the giver could no longer benefit from the liquid once it was given. It cannot be picked back up. You can't clean it. You can't gather it back. You can't repurpose it for something else. Once it was given, it can no longer be returned. Mary's offering unto Jesus is a representation of how our lives need to look before him. We have to come to the understanding that once we live for Jesus, once we decide to live for him, once we decide to accept Jesus in our life, that there's no going back. That the offering that we give him is like the perfume being poured out onto his feet that you can't get it back. That this offering is going to remain at his feet because you can't take it back. Paul says in Philippians 4.17, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. That even if I know that I may go through tough times. Even if I know that I'm not gonna go back to my old lifestyle, it's worth it. That even if I lose my life for his sake, I'm gonna rejoice in it because it's an offering for him. And you have to be willing to pour it out onto his feet. In Luke chapter nine, verse 62, and I'm gonna have the, where's Rocky at? Come on, Rocky. Why don't you, oh, she's right there on my seat. Why don't you guys give it up for Rocky as she comes? And I got two minutes left, so hopefully, hopefully I can do this. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. There's no going back. When you decide to serve Jesus, you have to be all in. I'm here to encourage you, for those of you who haven't made a decision, stop wavering in your decision. Stop living a life that is full of compromise. And tonight is the night to choose who you're gonna serve. Because Jesus ultimately wants your whole life. He wants your full surrender, not a half-hearted commitment. A person who's willing to give up everything for him and someone who will worship him by the way that they live. A life that is holy and acceptable to God. That, that right there is true and proper worship. 
You see, an altered life is a life that surrenders everything to Jesus. And I'm going to end with this. It's also a life that looks at Jesus with eyes of wonder. You see, every, every day when I come home from work, when, when I walk up my steps and I can even hear my wife's uh, notification of the ring doorbell go off, my daughter knows that I'm there. She knows that dad's home. She knows that I'm going to open the door. And as soon as I open the door, right, she, most of the time she's happy, right? She's, she, she comes to me, right? She gives me a hug. But as soon as, you know, I, I say hi to her and I greet my wife and I greet her, as soon as I come home, she wants to play. She, I'll give her a hug, and as soon as I put her down, she'll say hide and seek. Like, not even tell me. She'll, sometimes she'll just go in a corner and, just, like, not even tell me anything, and she'll just say, where'd Natalie go? And she's obviously right there. But I know, okay, she wants to play hide and seek. Sometimes I'll ask, oh, is Natalie hiding? And she'll reply, yes. But the thing about my daughter, so she, she loves this game, hide and seek. She loves playing. And, and the most favorite thing about the game for her is she loves to be found. So she'll go and she'll hide and she'll ask me, you know, where, where are you? And, and, and I'll come and I'll act like I'm looking even though she's right in front of me. And I'll look and then finally I tell her, oh, I found you. And the, and the, the brightest smile that you can have, she has. It's, it's the best thing. She, she finds it so funny. She, she loves to be found. But the thing about my daughter, although I love it, it's cute. It's the best thing in the world. She can do this over and over again. Not just one time, not even twice. She can do this for hours if we let her. It doesn't matter if she's hiding in the same spot. It doesn't matter if I keep finding her. She loves it because she just loves to be found. And I remember playing with my daughter yesterday. We're playing hide and seek. And again, this is probably like the 15th time that I've, I found her. You know, we're playing hide and seek. And, you know, I find her. She loves it. And I remember getting tired. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm ready to stop. Uh, man, I'm, babe, I'm going to tap you in. You know, come, come and find her. But there was one thing that I noticed as we continue to play this game over and over and over again, that she reacts the same exact way she did when we first played. She has the same reaction. She's excited. It's, it's not dull. It's not, okay, you, I've done it over and over again. It's the same reaction every single time. She's happy. She loves that I found her. And she smiles. And, and you can tell that she's the most happiest girl in the moment. And God spoke to me in that moment as I'm tired, as I'm ready to give up, as I'm ready to tap in my wife and just like give it to her because I'm too tired to keep going and going. God spoke to me. And he says, unless you look at me like your daughter with eyes of wonder, you will always feel tired and burnt out. I'm fasting, so... In that moment, God convicted me. I had to repent because I'd found myself getting caught up in the routine, caught up in, in ministry rather than what ministry is for, rather than who is ministry for. I found myself feeling tired and weak in my spiritual life. 
remind you it's so easy to get caught up in your feelings. It's so easy to get caught up in our own disappointments, our own expectations of the ministry. We get mad at the pastor for requiring too much of us. We get mad at the church for, for asking us to be here in the morning. We, we even get mad at Jesus. Well, God, do you really require this, this much of my time? I can't believe I have to give up my life to serve him. And we have all these thoughts in our minds. And we start to feel burnt out. Serving Jesus because it becomes a burden rather than a blessing. Our, our lives feel mundane. We feel tired. The things of God no longer excite us. We lose our passion to read. We lose our passion to pray. We lose our passion to spend time with him. We even lose our passion to worship Jesus. And we find ourselves inching closer and closer away from Jesus and away from serving in the ministry. Let me ask you, if you've ever felt that way, maybe you're even feeling it right now. Could it be that we've been viewing Jesus and who he is in the same lens that we view our everyday lives? Could it be that we've placed ourselves higher than the King of Kings? Could it be that we may have lost our wonder? In Matthew chapter 18, verse three, it says this, learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable, and learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you will never be able to enter in. Until we as Christians start to view Jesus with eyes of wonder again, we will always feel tired and burnt out. We will always feel entitled, entitled to how we feel, entitled to, to the way we act. Until we understand and believe that we get to serve Jesus, that we, when we serve in ministry, we serve Jesus. Until we understand that we have the opportunity to come to church and to worship Jesus. We have the opportunity to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. We will never truly catch it. Reminded of this story of Job. And he's enduring all this trials. If you don't know, he lost his family. He lost everything that he had. He begins to question God begins to believe that maybe, well, maybe God's forgotten about me. He even, even asked the Lord, well, I, I wish I'd never been born. And he begins to believe that, well, well maybe God just uh, lets evil people thrive while may, maybe me and the other people have to suffer. And he begins to try and understand who God is and what God is doing in this moment. And he begins to ask God, where are you in this whole situation? And Job begins to complain unto the Lord. How can you let these things happen to me? I've done everything right in your life. I've done everything right unto you. I'm a righteous man. And he begins to question God's power and his wisdom. So finally, God replies to Job. He says that he replies to him through a whirlwind. And it reminds Job that he is Lord. And that Job is a mere man. And this is his reply in Job chapter 38, verse 12. It says, have you, have you ever, this is a rhetorical question, have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? 
Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath the sill. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. And he goes on for the next four chapters, reminding Job of who he's talking to. Reminding Job that he's sovereign, that he's perfect in everything that he does and everything that he creates, that he knows everything, that he creates everything with such detail that nothing can happen without God knowing. And I love Job's response. After God is telling him all these things, Job 42, five, verse six, it says this. I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes and I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. We cannot forget about the God that we serve. We can't forget about the one who we were created for. I believe too many of us have allowed the things of this world We've allowed the storms of life, we've allowed the hard trials of life to distort how we look at Jesus. It's even distorted the way we pray. It's distorted the way we have faith, even the way that we give. We've forgotten how powerful and mighty the God that we serve really is. I'm here to encourage you, if you're feeling this way, stop allowing your circumstances to hinder your commitment to him. Stop allowing the things of this world to distort your lens of who God is. And some of you tonight need to be like Job. You need to repent for everything that we've said and thought towards Jesus. And some of us have been operating and living our lives as if we know what's best for our life. As if we really know what's going on, as if we know what's best for our family, as if we know what's best for our situations without even seeking or thinking about Jesus. We've been allowing ourselves to view Jesus in a lens that doesn't give him the proper place that he deserves. And we need to come to an understanding that we are all just dust and ashes compared to God. Some of us just need to repent and give Jesus the honor, the glory, and the worship that he deserves. We need to allow Jesus to alter our lives. We need to allow Jesus to change, to change us. Why? Because he's worthy of it. See, that's what an altered life is. It's a life that's willingly surrendered our will to Jesus. It's a constant reminder of the God that we serve. The very God who is holy, who is perfect in everything that he creates, the one who created you, the one who created the heavens and the earth, that's the God that we serve. But some of us have 
been viewing Jesus in the same lens that we view everyday life. And it's time to give Jesus the proper lens that he deserves. The proper place in our minds and in our hearts. I want to encourage you to to look at Jesus with eyes of wonder again. Like a child that's amazed every single time, no matter how many times you do it, no matter how many times you talk to the Lord, no matter how many times you pray, it's the same, just like the very first time that you met Jesus. That's why the, the angels of the Lord can, can go around his throne and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because they're looking at Jesus with eyes of wonder. They're not looking at him through a lens of the world, through your own personal lens. They're giving Jesus the lens that he deserves. Why don't we all bow our heads tonight? Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.